What's up, y'all? Welcome to my podcast, Mass Murder Talk. We're on this podcast. We'll be talking about all things mass murder. My name is Janine, and if you're a bigger true crime fan as I am, you are definitely in the right spot. Hopefully, you're interested in hearing some things I have to say and enjoy hearing true crime stories. So with that, let's start the episode. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the 2017 Las Vegas shooting. I am really excited. I have my very first guest today, my husband, Tony Johnson. He's not exactly a firearms expert, but he does know a lot about firearms, and I trust his opinion. So, Tony, would you like to say hello? Hello, everyone. Okay, so let's get into this. So the shooting happened on October 1st, 2017, where Stephen Paddock killed 60 people and almost 900 people were injured. I wasn't able to find a definitive number of injured people. Some sites say 800, some say closer to 900. But all of the injuries were not from gunshots, but we'll get back to those numbers a little later. I wanted to talk about this because this is one of the stories that bothers me the most, and I'll tell you why. This story doesn't have a motive, no reasoning. As far as authorities could tell, it was totally unprovoked. So let's go backwards a little. Stephen Paddock was a 64-year-old auditor and real estate businessman. At one point, he was said that he had a fortune of around $2.1 million. He lived in a retirement community in Mesquite, Nevada, which is about 80 miles northeast of Vegas. He had been divorced twice, but at the time of the shooting, he had a longtime girlfriend and no known kids. He didn't even have a police record, just a few traffic citations. So far, not throwing up any red flags. So to everyone, he just seemed like a normal retired guy. Paddock was also known to be a high stakes gambler. He would place high enough bets to earn valuable comps, such as benefits as like free meals and free rooms but he wasn't exactly a high roller. He was familiar to the casino host, but not well known to the other high stakes gamblers because he mostly played single player video poker. I've played video poker and it can definitely be addicting. He kept to himself and was a heavy drinker. He also lost a significant amount of his money over the previous two years But the strange thing is, he had paid off all his gambling debts before the shooting. At this point, things start to shift. His girlfriends started noticing some strange behavior. According to Paddock's girlfriend, about a month before the shooting, he repeatedly cased Las Vegas Village from different windows of their room where they stayed at the Mandalay Bay. Uh, The Las Vegas Village is an open air venue. It's just like one big field. She was also concerned that he had considered attacking previous events. He had researched other large-scale venues, such as events in Boston and the Lollapalooza Festival in Chicago. He had actually had a room overlooking the festival in Chicago, but he didn't use it. When Paddock's computer was searched in mid-September, it included searches of SWAT weapons, Ballistic Chart 308, SWAT Las Vegas and do police use explosives. So Tony, explain to us what is a ballistics chart 308 or 308 ballistics chart? 
So a ballistics chart in general terms is just basic information on what a projectile would do once it's in the air and fired out of a round. Uh, the 308 is actually the caliber of round that he was planning to use. Um, so the 308 ballistics chart is the information of velocity, what would happen to the, the round at certain distances with velocity drop off wind shift and stuff like that okay that's a lot of info that i'm really not familiar with but hey from my gun people out there y'all know what he's talking about so on september 25th 2017 paddock arrived at the bandalay bay booked into room 135 which was a complimentary room on the 32nd floor four days later he also checked into the connecting room 134 both suites overlooked the site of the concert at Las Vegas Village. During his stay at the Mandalay Bay, he spent his time drinking and gambling, and it was mostly at night. He interacted with the staff more than 10 times and twice on the day of the shooting. An MGM Resort spokesman said that his interactions were normal, but his phone records showed that he had made multiple visits to his home in Mesquite that day. So he's just going around the hotel, chatting it up with the staff, making everything seem normal. And I guess he was successful because nobody knew any of this was coming. With the help of the hotel bellman, he brought up five suitcases to his room on September 25th, seven on the 26th, two on the 28th, six on the 30th, and two on October 1st. In total, he had 21 suitcases. His arsenal of weapons, equipment, ammunition included 14 AR-15 rifles, some of which were equipped with bump stocks, and some had uh, like 100 round magazines. Once again, I'm not a gun person. I'm not really familiar with this stuff. Eight AR-type rifles, a bolt-action rifle, and a revolver. So, Tony, explain to me a little bit about some of these guns. So, the AR-15 is your basic, like, I don't want to say military-style rifle. It's, it's the rifle that was based off of the M4 and put out in for civilian use. Um, the AR-10s are basically the same thing, but they're chambered in much bigger rounds, like the 308 or 338 Lapua and stuff like that. Um, the hundred round mags, that's just, it, it is what it sounds like. Ma magazines that can be put into AR style weapons, um, that can carry a hundred rounds. And usually like in my experience, cause I was in the military, um, I was what we call a saw gunner. I had hundred, 200 round magazines, uh, for my belt fed. Uh, so yeah, it sounds like he was going in there to cause a lot a lot of damage so what are bump stocks bump stocks are uh kind of they help with the cycle rate of the firearm so that it can fire faster it doesn't make it necessarily a machine gun or fully automatic but it helps the bolt cycle faster in the gun so that you can pull the trigger sooner Okay, so yeah, he was definitely trying to do some damage. He was not coming away from there without causing some chaos. 
So on the night of September 30th, he placed a do not disturb sign on the doors of both rooms. The night of the shooting, October 1st, 2017, was the third and final night of the festival. Country singer Jason Aldean was given his closing performance. The shooting took place between 10.05 and 10.15. Shortly before 10.15, a hotel security guard named Jesus Campos was sent to, to the 32nd floor because of an open door alert. He tried to uh, get to the 32nd floor, but he realized there was an L-shaped bracket screwed into the door and he couldn't get in. He was able to gain access to the 32nd floor. He had to go up a floor and then come back down to the 32nd. So he starts hearing what he thinks uh, is drilling coming from room 135. As he approached the door, there was an eruption of gunfire. At approximately 10.05, he was hit in the right thigh through the door of the suite. It was later discovered that Paddock had fired 35 rounds through the door. Realizing he was hit, the security guard took cover in an alcove between rooms 122 and 124. He immediately informed the hotel by radio and cell phone and let them know he had been shot. At the time, he thought that he had been shot with like a BB or a pellet gun. So while Campos was taking cover and wounded, he called the maintenance man up to see if he could fix the door. The maintenance man came up to the floor and he saw him and Campos said, hey, take cover, there's somebody up here shooting. The maintenance man contacted this dispatchers over the radio, informed them of the ongoing shooting and told him to call the police. So it was not clear what time the police were actually informed of the shooting. By now, Paddock had used a hammer to break two of the windows in both suites and started shooting through both windows at 10.05. Ultimately, he fired over a thousand rifle rounds, approximately 490 yards into the festival crowd. So let's visualize this. This man is shooting rifle rounds from his room into a crowd of a distance of almost five football fields. So, Tony, tell me about these rifle rounds. So, uh, your standard AR-15, if it's chambered in 5.56, has a capability of, of being pretty accurate, up to a thousand rounds, depending on whether you're using optics, iron sights, your training. Um, so, 490 yards is on the verge of being pretty rough to hit something accurately. Um, but if you're just shooting just to cause damage and you've got a, a big target as such as a crowd, uh, at that point you're just kind of praying, spraying. Um, especially with the bump stocks, you you can put a lot of rounds downrange really fast. Okay, what do you mean praying, spraying? What's that? Pray and spray is a tactic where you just kind of pull the trigger. You're not really aiming, um, and you just keep pulling the trigger until you run out of ammo. Um, not really aiming at a specific target like a single person. You're just sitting there pulling the trigger until it, you hear it go click. At first, Paddock fired a few single, sh single gunshots before firing bursts that usually range from 80 to 100 rounds. 
I'm not sure what kind of gun he was using then. Initially, the crowd mistook the gunfire for fireworks, which, you know, I could understand that. You're at a concert, you're having a good time, you're kicking it. You're definitely not expecting to hear gunshots. So, Tony, when he started firing up to 80 to 100 rounds, what kind of gun do you think he was using? Uh, he was probably using one of the ARs that had the uh, bump stock on it. Um, usually bursts are anywhere from three to five rounds, but depending on your weapon, you could probably just try and hold the trigger down. Like if it was a machine gun, just hold the trigger down until it cycled through all of its rounds. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely sounds like he was just trying to just... Cause as much damage as possible. Yeah, yeah, just shoot whatever moved. Okay, so let's keep going. While all this is going on, Paddock also fired eight bullets at a large jet fuel tank at McCarran International Airport, 2,000 feet away. Two of the bullets struck the exterior and actually penetrated the tank. Luckily, it didn't explode because jet fuel is mostly kerosene, which is unlikely to ignite when struck with a bullet. Y'all, this man was not playing. He was literally trying to take out as many people as possible. So, while the shooting was going on, the police officers were confused. They couldn't tell where the shots were coming from. They couldn't tell if they were coming from Mandalay Bay or Luxor Hotel, or even the festival grounds. Plus, the police were getting several false reports of additional shooters on the strip. So, at this point, obviously, you got people running, screaming, scared, and trying to find cover, but... That's extremely difficult because you can't tell where the shots are coming from. So how can you take cover? So, Tony, you tell me, as far as trying to shoot 2,000 feet away, was that a good idea or no? I don't even know what kind of gun he was using at that point. Uh, he could have been using one of the bolt-action rifles that are in a slightly larger caliber. Um, shooting at a target 2,000 2,000 feet away, 2,000 yards away, whatever the distance was. Um, it's something that, like, trained snipers do. Um, usually, civilians don't try to train for that kind of distance, which is one of the reasons why I think he was just kind of praying and spraying, because I'm, I'm surprised he even hit anything. Um you know, you can go to your range, your local range, and find a range that has 2,000 yards and try and shoot something at that distance. They usually have, like, big gongs out there so you can try and hit. And uh, it, it's it's pretty difficult. Um, and you said he hit, he was shooting at the, uh, the fuel tank? Yeah. So uh, a big misconception that a lot of people see in the movies is, like, shooting uh, fuel in, like, cars and... And they just explode yeah, all of a sudden. Yeah, and it's not really how it works. Um, it's generally the spark of the round hitting the metal once, like, the fumes have been exposed that causes it to ignite. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that he, he couldn't have shot at a regular gasoline fuel tank and it wouldn't have ignited, but, yeah, a lot of people get that whole misconception from the movies of big fireballs and stuff like that so yeah okay so let's keep going officers eventually noticed multiple flashes of gunfire from the middle northern northern side of the mandalay and responded 
At 10.12 p.m., two officers on the 31st floor reported hearing gunshots on the floor above them. At 10.17 p.m., officers get to the 32nd floor and encounter Campos one minute later. Campos directed the police to Paddock's room and he helped other people on the floor evacuate. After Campos helped other people evacuate, he was instructed to seek medical attention because remember, he knew he got shot, but he just thought he got shot with a BB gun or a pellet gun. So between 10.26 p.m. and 10.30 p.m., eight more officers arrived at the 32nd floor. Some officers manually breached through the door that Paddock had screwed shut with a bracket. By now, gunfire had stopped. The police went down the hallway, searching and clearing each room with the master key that they had gotten from Campos. At 10.55 p.m., the officers had evacuated the guest. Police breached room 135 with explosives. When they entered, when they entered the room, they found Paddock dead on the floor from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Officers announced over the radio that the suspect was down. Once the suite was cleared, the police discovered the room was littered with over a thousand spent gunshell casings. An arsenal of weapons, some on the bed, some on the floor, and some in the tub. They also discovered a surveillance camera over the peephole of the door. The officers gained entry to the adjoining suite that he had registered in his girlfriend's name a few days prior and found even more weapons there. In total, police recovered 24 guns, including AR-15 and AR-10 assault rifles with armor-piercing bullets. Police also found over 5,000 rounds of unused ammunition. So, okay, Tony, tell me about these armor-piercing bullets, even though it kind of sounds self-explanatory, but give me a little bit more info. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like what it is. Um, you know, most uh, police departments will carry these uh it's one of those things where it's you can go out and buy them, um, but it sounds like he knew what was going to happen once he started shooting off at the concert, and he knew the police were coming, and he had a, he had a pretty good idea SWAT was going to be coming, and he wanted to be prepared for their armor. Okay, so with the 5,000 rounds of unused ammunition, I know it's kind of hard to gauge, but... How long could he have kept going if he hadn't killed himself? Approximately how long do you think he was able to keep going with 5,000 more rounds of unused ammunition? It depends on what he planned on doing. Was he planning on just holding out? Because, you know, you pop a couple rounds through the door every once in a while. Or if he planned on actually strategically moving down to the lobby to get to a vehicle... I mean, it, it's it's one of those things. He could have held out for a while, um, but, you know, anywhere from a couple hours. I wouldn't say any days, um, all just because eventually SWAT would get tired of waiting for him to come out and just go in and get him. Okay. This whole thing is insane. This whole thing is blowing my mind. As I was doing the research for this, I was amazed. Each and every time I read something, it was amazed. Plus, I watched videos on this and interviews of people and the whole thing was just absolutely horrible oh yeah i mean it, it's one of those things like when we saw it on the news 
I was just like, how how did he get up there with that many rounds and and weapons and nobody noticed? Well, the thing to me is, I think that once the Bellman realized what they had done, they probably felt really bad because they didn't know. Right, you know, right. they just thought that they were helping somebody with, with luggage. So, you know, once you realize, oh my God, I helped somebody take 20-something guns up to a room so that they could open fire on a crowd, you know, that would have a mental toll on me. Oh, yeah. So as everything is still in a chaotic state, McCarran International Airport was shut down for several hours. Approximately 300 people entered airport grounds as they fled from the shooting, which caused officials to shut down the runways. They had to reroute more than 25 flights to be sure that they weren't hit with gunfire. Las Vegas Boulevard was also closed while SWAT checked the venue and neighboring businesses. So stay with me, y'all. I know it's a lot to unpack. So as of October 20th, there were 61 deaths, including Stephen Paddock. There were immediate fatalities of 58 victims, 36 women, 22 men, and they all died from gunshot wounds. The oldest was 67 and the youngest was 20. A 57-year-old woman died two years later in November 2019. The, year fo- uh, the following year, the doctors attributed her death to the shooting. A Nevada woman died in May of 2020 from complications of a leg wound. And on October 1st, 2020, both women were added to the count. They were still, They still passed away. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I mean, most rounds that people use for hunting are a lot different than something that you would use for, like, a case like this. The case like this, he was probably using something like a, a full metal jacket, which is very hard, and once it hits the body, it, it can do a lot of damage, especially internally. Um, yeah, because one thing I have learned um, is... What we see in the movies is not what it is. Um, when when you get shot, bullets do not always go in and out. They travel through the body. And when they, you may have a clean entrance, but the exit is what will kill you. Or just as it's going through your body, hitting vital organs and tearing up stuff on the way. Yeah, I mean, uh, a, a round could enter on something as soft as like a bicep, but if it hits a something hard like your bone, the bone fragments plus the round shattering and breaking off can enter blood vessels, continue at high velocity in a, a lung or something like that. So uh, just like you said in the movies, a, a through and through isn't really a through and through. It usually comes in high and exits lower than than what it entered so this shooting was the deadliest mass shooting committed by an individual in the united states exceeding the death toll of the orlando nightclub shooting so once again i'm going to say approximately because i was never able to find an accurate number approximately 870 people were injured 411 people with gunshot wounds or shrapnel injuries Several victims were transported to area hospitals. Some victims were even transported by private vehicle because the interstate, which is the most direct route to University Medical Center, was closed because of the shooting. 
About an hour later, emergency services made an announcement that University Medical Center had reached capacity and had to divert patients to different hospitals. A lot of the victims also required blood transfusions. There were 499 components in the first 24 hours of treatment. The local national blood banks had to help replace the blood, but they were able to help replace it quickly. The next morning, the lines stretched for blocks to donate blood, which is an awesome thing. Some wait times were six hours or more. In Las Vegas alone, 800 units of blood were donated to local blood banks. Millions of dollars have also been raised to help the victims and their families. So, I know, it's a lot, y'all. It's scary. I know for a long time, once this came out, honestly, I was scared to go anywhere because you just don't know. You could go to the mall, there could be a shooting. You could go to the gas station, there could be a shooting. You just never know what somebody is thinking and what's in their mind. So, what do y'all think? Do you think this had anything to do with mental illness? Me just giving my opinion? Yes, I definitely think this had to do with mental illness. I think he, it started out small, but then he started to spiral and it just got worse over time. What do you think, Tony? I mean, I'm, I'm not a professional, so, you know. Neither am I by any means. Right. So, you know, it could have just been simply he, he said, screw it. Um, he could have been a part of an organization of terrorism. Who knows? So. Well, you can't really say that. He could have been, because authorities, they could not find him. They could not find any connection or anything with him uh, associated with any type of organization. Because at first, you know, people were saying that uh, he was part of a terrorist group and all this other stuff. And he could have been part of, uh, not ISIS, it was another one, I don't know. Oh, you've got a lot. It's hard to name them all. <laughs> so. But, yeah, I mean, it could have been mental illness. Usually in situations like this, it's it's more than likely mental illness. He probably just decided, you know, he wanted to go and go out in a blaze of glory. It could have been uh, a mental illness that he's been dealing with for a really long time and just untreated. And maybe that's why he was planning all the other shootings is, you know, he just had people in his head telling him he needed to do this. Yeah, I watched a, a YouTube video of his brother and his brother just seemed dumbfounded. Like he just could not wrap his head around the whole thing. You know, his brother was saying that he was just a normal guy who, you know, liked to gamble and drink. He didn't show any signs. He didn't have any violent tendencies. There was none of that, so. Yeah, true. But, I mean, how many times have you heard of, like, a serial killer that always said hi to the neighbors and always helped out with the community and stuff like that? So you just never know. That's why I always tell you to keep your head on the swivel. Okay, well, I want to say thank you to my wonderful husband. He helped out a lot. I appreciate his opinion and his gun knowledge. And thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast, Mass Murder Talk. I hope that you have found this informative and educational. Till the next episode, y'all.
Deuces.